Hey, welcome to another episode of Write You a Song. A monthly podcast devoted to getting to know Nashville's top songwriters a little bit better. I'm your host, Tom Maley, from New Country 105.1 KNCI Radio in Sacramento, and I appreciate you giving us a listen on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you have access to. And if you like the show, subscribe. It's totally free. Always will be. If you missed our premiere episode from last month, we featured Brett Warren, one half of the Warren Brothers songwriting team. Go back and listen if you have a chance. He was great. And just a heads up, Next month, we're going to be talking to Tim Nichols, who's written for everybody from Keith Whitley and Alan Jackson to Reba, Tim McGraw, Dustin Lynch. Can't wait for you to hear that one. But let's get on with this month's guest. He's had over 800 songs recorded. Of those, more than 60 have gone top 10 and several have gone to number one. You might recognize a few of these. It ain't that hard. That's just the cowboy in me. Raise him up. His songs have been played more than 60 million times on radio and TV. He's a multiple winner of both the Nashville Songwriter Association International and BMI Songwriter of the Year Awards. In 2009, he was nominated for a Golden Globe for the song I Thought I Lost You from the movie Bolt. In 2013, he was inducted into the Nashville Songwriting Hall of Fame. He's also a producer, a publisher, a teacher, a dad, a husband, and possesses one of the most positive attitudes you will ever run across. Please welcome to write you a song, the Amazingly talented Jeffrey Steele. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> and that leads me to my very first question. Do you feel like a genius? Because it sure seems like you are. <laughs> uh, you know, the irony of the whole the whole deal, you know, is oh, it's always um, it's always a simple little tale of like, you know, when I first came to Nashville from California, I had so many influences influences in me, you know, and, and there was so much I wanted to put into my music and everybody kept telling me when I got to Nashville, they said, I couldn't do it. You can't do it. That's not how we do it. You know, you, you got to watch what everybody else is doing. So I tried to do that. And, and um, you know, then I'd, but then I'd go out and play, I'd play in the clubs. I'd play these songs I was writing and the girls loved my songs, <laughs> but the record companies hated my songs. The record companies would always shut off my song and tell me, you know, it wasn't commercial enough or a song like that could never get on the radio. Um, you know, on and on and on and on. But then I'd, I'd go and play in the clubs, and um, I would get that same response from all the girls. Man, we love that song. We love that song. What hurts the most? We love that song. So I just kept sticking to my guns, and I went from idiot to genius <laughs> after about, you know ten years, if, if you want to put it in that sort of a light. Like I just everybody kept telling me I was off, and I was never going to get my, I was never going to have any success, let alone get to my whatever it was I was trying to get to. And um, I just I, I found a few people that I loved writing with that let me be who I was. And I knew that I had to be who I was in order to, you know, succeed, like like to, to be able to get the music out the way I wanted to. And when I teach my classes, I always tell all my, my students, it's like, don't worry about what the market's saying. You have to do what's in your heart. You know, you, you can only be the best you you can't be the second best somebody else you got to be the best you and you have to keep chasing that no matter what and eventually if the song's great 
the act's going to show up. There's going to be an act that gets signed that's going to hear something and go, wow, I love that. You know, so I'm, I just, from example, that's what I believe. And I try to teach um, some of these kids, because you know, everybody's in a rush to get famous and successful. You know what I mean? But it takes time, you know, so. Yeah. So anyway, idiot to genius. It took a while, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but what? Let me back up for just a second. When you're talking about that period of time where you were struggling and, and people were telling you, "No, your sound isn't isn't right for us." What time period are we talking about? Because you did have some success in the early '90s with Boy Howdy. Was it before that? Was it kind of during that? And you were doing your own thing on the side. When was that exactly? Well, it was. I mean, if you, if you look at Boy Howdy in the early '90s, even the late '80s when we first got together, like, but the early '90s, Boy Howdy was a pretty crazy, off to the left, rocking sort of bluegrass, heavy metal country band. We were doing some things musically that a lot of people would just shake their heads at, you know. And um, we were doing it in the bars, and people loved it. You know, people loved it in all the bars. And <laughs> the trouble was is that. I went on a writing trip. I think it was my first writing trip to Nashville. And I went back there and I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I'd never gone back to a, a town that just wrote songs all day long. You know, I, I just kind of made my stuff up in LA, you know? And so I wrote this song back there called she'd give anything to fall in love is big ballad. And it became, it became boy, howdy's calling car, but, but it was also the destruction of the band because it didn't represent what that band was trying to do in any way, shape, form, Whatsoever. And she'd give anything and everything to fall in love. Just this one time, she'd like to find what she's been dreaming of. Well, she could find someone to hold her, but that wouldn't be enough. Cause she'd give anything to fall in love. I mean, we were a players' band, a musicians' band. And um, that's what we were trying to be. And the label knew better. They saw me as a front guy, and they saw me as, you know, if we can get Jeff out in front of this thing, you know, this could be huge. But, but, you know, that whole sort of marketing thing, and I just, I wasn't into that. I loved being a player and being part of the team. You know what I mean? So when we had success with She'd Give Anything, I mean, the song blew up. It was a massive hit. It took, put a whole different spin on the band. So the band immediately went into this kind of, we, we became more of a Nashville type of band. And none of us wanted to be in that band anymore, and we just broke up. Was that disappointing? Was that moment, uh, maybe at the time and even a few years after, disappointing? Because I, I saw a quote from you where uh, basically you said uh, being called a, a songwriter, uh, you felt like that was maybe a downside because it was taking away from you being an, an artist. Do you, you don't still feel that way now do you oh not at all i mean i i had a moment you know like after the band broke up in the mid 90s um man i was having really bad voice trouble i couldn't i couldn't sing anymore i was, I was having a really hard time singing more than one or two nights a week and i went to the doctor and they wanted me to have surgery and i didn't i didn't want to do the surgery I, if the surgery was really new at the time and i was really afraid of it you know and I didn't want to mess up any of the mojo, you know, because because I've always thought myself to be a singer first, you know, and I didn't want to mess up any of the mojo. So I, I found this doctor who got me on this kind of holistic, you know, this is going to take you a long time. It's going to probably take you two years to get your voice back, but you're going to learn how to do it right. And so I did it and, and I had to completely stop touring and, and get off the road. And I think that was one of those, you know, transforming moments in my life where it's like, okay, dude, if you're going to be a songwriter, this is this is the, this is when you're going to have to prove it because you just lost your you just lost your source of income. So 
um, you better you better get good at it. You know what I mean? So that I think that was one of those things that kind of lit the candle for me. And um, I believe every adversity that you get to is just a, another, you know, it's another thing that you have to get through to kind of figure out who you are. And I knew that this was just something I had to go through. And I mean, I look, if I, if, if I did say that, I would look back at it now and say it was, it would be the complete opposite. Cause one of my favorite things now is to be able to go out and perform on my own terms. And I love being able to walk away from the gig and still be able to go in a grocery store like my friends can never do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I still get to be me. I still get to be me and live my life. And, and uh, I've never I've never regretted that. And yeah, it's a trade-off. But, you know, but I think at the end of the day, when I'm dead and gone, if there's a couple of songs there that, 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 that stood the test of time, I mean, that, that's a pretty cool thing to me, that, that people would still want to sing those songs. And, and you get a song like My Wish, and who, I mean, who knew? I mean, you know, like I, I just, the words fell the right way that day. Uh, it's just incredible, you know, like, and, and you, 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 you can't, you can't, and here's the thing too, like to, to songwriters, you can't, you can't craft those songs. Maybe you can, but those songs have to just come to you. And I truly believe like when you're in that space and you're being yourself and you're and you're letting stuff just happen, those songs do come through you um, because you do. You know, you know how to craft, you know how to write. But when the real special things come through, you have those tools. So you know what to do with that lyric when it comes through and how to how to shape the melody and all that nuts and bolts stuff. You know, when did you know that because you, you've been a musician all your life? When did you know you could you could write that you that you were a lyricist? I think it was. Um, Probably about eight years old. I used to watch that Mac Davis show on TV. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. I used to watch him make up those songs with my dad at the end of, at the end of the show. Remember, he'd go out in the audience and make up songs. Yeah, absolutely. and so I would do that. I, w- I would go and, and make up songs, and, and um, be- long before I could play an instrument. And and then uh, when I was like eleven or twelve, I got a guitar. Uh, my brother gave me a guitar and um, turned the strings around because he figured out I was left-handed. And um, I just started making stuff up back then. And, and um, so I've been writing songs ever since I was probably 11, 11 years old, with, you know, to music. And I, I think and, and I was I was a pretty smart kid, but but I was a high school dropout, you know, because I was just I had no interest in anything but music. And and they would always tell my mom and dad, they say, man, this kid's got such potential. You know, he's on the baseball team, but we're going to have to kick him off the baseball team because his grades suck. You know, but but uh, he's got such potential, but he we just can't get him to pay attention in class. And 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 uh, but it's that weird thing of like there was no doubt in my mind the second that I got out of there what I was going to be doing. You know what I mean? Like I was already doing it before I was out of school. Right. You know, so. you've said that that you get ideas by listening uh, and and kind of always having your radar up. I want to give you uh, a. a few song titles and tell me where those songs came from if you can remember like the impetus for the song uh let's start with um let's start with uh, hell yeah hell yeah was was a, i used to play a bar out in california back in the 80s and there was this cowboy that would come in every night and he'd want to hear ring of fire by johnny cash and he'd walk up to the stage and he'd look he'd shout out hell yeah turn it up right on and I always remembered that, you know, I just the way that he said it, the way his face looked and the way his hands were in the air and he's holding his beer. I just never forgot that. <laughs> and when I, when I got to Nashville, I, I, I one day I just started writing it just to, I wanted to capture. I wanted to capture that guy's face and, and the way he looked when he would say it to me. Like I wanted to capture that in music. He looks way too much for 
Way too little. He drinks way too early till way too late. So I, I, I wrote the first verse of the chorus, and I, I remember I remember I took it to my friend Craig Wiseman, and uh, I played it for Craig, and he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> he looked at me, and he goes, you realize what's going to happen here? I go, what? He goes, well, obviously, this, this is going to be the worst song that ever happened, or it's going it's to completely mess up everything. And you couldn't have had two better performers take that song on than, than Troy and Eddie. Oh, I mean, it was so great. It was so classic because we wrote it and we, you know, I'd, I'd go and play it for people and they would just shut it off and send me out. You know, they'd send me with my tail between my legs out of the record companies going, you can't, this is never going to be on the radio, you know. And then here's these two hillbillies from Kentucky show up. Yeah, yeah, I'll turn it up, around. And at that time, I was trying to get on the map, and they were trying to get separate from Brooks and Dunn. Remember, they were like, oh, they're like a Brooks and Dunn knockoff. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they're just trying to be the next Brooks and Dunn. I, mean, I remember everybody was criticizing them a lot, and they, they needed an identity because Brooks and Dunn had such a sound, you know. And obviously they couldn't copy it, you know, and they knew they had to have something really unique and original. So by that time, man, I had I had a warehouse full of those songs. Yeah, how many songs of, of, of yours did they end up cutting? They probably cut over 12, but, I mean, I, I had the hits were Hell Yeah and Speed in my town and gone, of course, which is another one that uh, just blew up. Um, something to be proud of. I wrote that, and, but gone was another one that uh, was just such a it was such a everybody in town hated it and said you, you would never get that song on the radio. Okay, next song, uh, These Days. These Days was a song I didn't want to write. This is a classic story. There was no Rascal Flats at the time. There was this, and this, this is another historic sort of thing in my mind. Um, I get this call from my publisher. He says, I've got this songwriter from London. And I just looked at him and went, what? He goes, yeah, I got this guy from London. He's a track guy. I go, a track guy? What's a track guy? He goes, well, he just does music and, and he builds tracks. Keep in mind, this is like 1998, you know, this is before the whole town got taken over by track guys. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he was like the original guy. And by the way, so when, when, brought, when you talk about tracks for, for the layperson, explain, you're, you're talking about. Yeah, like what's, what's happened in the last, since about 2007 or eight in Nashville, it's kind of like L.A. Where, where instead of like all the musicians going in and and making an amazing recording of a song. There's one guy that programs drum machines, uh, you know, synth bass, uh, fake guitars, uh, you know, just some keyboard sounds, gets a loop going, a drum loop going, and lyricists come in and write to the loop. They write to that track. Mm. So it's pretty one-dimensional, and and, and I'm not going to criticize country music today, but it's gotten a little one-dimensional in terms of not everything. There's still some great stuff out there, but there's a lot of, like, one-dimensionalness to the – 
to the song structures. They're very similar because everybody's doing them to tracks. So it, it kind of dilutes the, the true soul of the you know, musicians playing on it and stuff like that. Uh, and it's not it's not everything, but it's a lot of stuff over the last 10 years. And um, so anyway, this guy, Steve Robson, he was the, nobody knew what this meant. Track guy back in 99. Right. And he was an amazing composer. Um, he, he was not just a fly by night guy. So I was really adamant about not writing it because I just didn't I just didn't want to get involved in somebody else's song. Um, it just wasn't my thing. I didn't want to finish up somebody somebody's track. So I fought it tooth and nail. And then um, my publisher called me one last time. He goes, hey, will you just take a listen to this song, this music, and just see if you can do something to it? And so I said, okay, just give me the music. I don't want to hear any melody. Just give me the music. So I got the music, took it home, had a little studio at my house at the time. I started listening to it. I just went, wow, this is amazing. And I just started subconsciously typing um, typing everything about my life as a musician, as a teenager playing in bars, meeting my wife, you know, who was dating at the time in high school, we're still married, you know, but it it was, it was that, it was all those things of youth, you know, like that I was going through. And I just started writing about that, wrote the whole song, hated it. And I didn't have a title for it. I didn't have a title for it. And then at the very end of it, I sang it into the microphone. And at the very end of it, I went, that's what I'm doing these days. Hey, baby, is that you? Wow, your hair got so long. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I really do. And I turned it in and I said, don't ever make me do this again. This was the most painful thing I've ever been through. Said <laughs> nuts. That's, that is amazing. What about you? And he, call, he called me back like six, seven weeks later. He goes, he goes, Jeff, remember that song you didn't want to write? I go, yeah, don't ever make me do that again. He goes, well, this new this new group got a record deal on Lyric Street. They're called Rascal Flats. I'm like, oh, God, what a stupid name. <laughs> but they're never going to make it. Sticking with the band with the stupid name, um, My Wish. My Wish. Uh, that, and that was way later. That was some, you know, that was like, I think I wrote that in 2007 or something. But um, that was, again, Steve Robson, who by now had become a fixed fixture on the Nashville scene. He came in with this piece of music one day. And I, I was, I always tell this story on my show, but I, I was at my house drinking a cup of coffee. I was getting ready to go up to Music Row and meet Steve. And um, my daughter was downstairs. My youngest daughter was in the kitchen, and she just um, had just turned 13. And I was just looking at her, and I was freaking out on, you know, you, 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 you know, if you have kids, you know, you're looking at your kid and going, oh, my gosh, what happened? I was just staring at her going, oh my gosh, she's 13. She's, she's like a grown kid now. And so I looked at her, you know, and I was like, Justine, I was like, Justine, I'm going to write you a song. I got to write you a song today. And she just looked, she looked at me and went, she like went, whatever, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I know the look. You know, and, I, and that's all she said. And she goes, it's probably going to be a country song. And I was like, yeah, it's probably going to be a country song. 
And so I came home. I, I, I went and met Steve, and, and he played me the music, and he went and got some lunch, and I just kept looping the music. And I started, and the words started coming to me. And they, they were coming through me. They were just coming through me. And um, I, me- I remember when, when, I, when he came back and I played it for him, he was just, he was, his jaw was dropped. And, and he goes, my God. I said, I said we got to make this chorus better. He goes, no. He goes, no, we're not going to touch this chorus. This chorus is genius. Get out of the room. He like literally pushed me out of the room because he, he knew how anal retentive I'd get. And I want to go back and try to tweak things all the time. And so he got me out of there. He goes, this chorus is fine. And he got me out of there. So I went home and told my kid, of course, you know, I wrote your song today. And then she said, and she, she goes, she goes whatever, Dad, you know. Uh, and then, of course, it goes on to do what it did. And now it's her favorite song. I hope the days come easy and the moments pass slow. And each road leads you where you want to go. And if you're faced with a choice and you have to choose, I hope you choose the one that means the most to you. And if one door opens to another door closed, I hope you keep on walking till you find the window. But I gotta tell you, that song, you know, like, I've played all over the world, you know, and I, I've gone into people's houses, and um, they've had it painted up their staircase, the chorus to my wish, painted up their staircase for their kids to see every night when they go to bed. It's just, it's unbelievable. My wish for you is that this A real quick one too is a what's what hurts the most after we wrote that song. There's a whole story behind that, but I wrote it in London and um, with Steve Robson also. And um, but but when we were singing the track of what hurts the most, um, uh, the the actual title that we were writing that day was what means the most. That was the, that's that's what the song was called. What means the most. And I went in to sing it in the vocal booth, and I, I started to sing the chorus, and I accidentally sang what hurts the most. <laughs> and I stopped the track. I, I stopped. I said, Steve, go back. I, I, I messed up. He goes, he goes, come in here. Come in here and listen to this. I go, no, no, I, I, heard, I heard it. I just need to fix it. And he goes, no, no, no. Come in here and listen to this. So I walk into the, vo- in, into the mix room, and, and uh, he played it for me. And it, what hurts the most? And, and I went, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's it. So me screwing up on a vocal made that song kind of what it was <laughs> happy accident crazy right i mean and and uh that's the thing too i always tell like i'll tell writers you know it, it your song's not finished till you till you till it's on the radio <laughs> you never know what could happen in the in the meantime from writing it to recording it to getting it to the artist you know like anything can happen so. and how important is it as a songwriter to maintain that that kind of flexibility it's like I said, like earlier on when we were talking, like um, about the, you know, how people are afraid of their quirks and they're afraid of their 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 idiosyncrasies or whatever they are. But those are the things that make them what they are. And there comes some point where you have to embrace that and get comfortable with it. So when these when these weird things or quirky things or things that aren't the norm, like on the radio or or what everybody's doing in Nashville. When those things start happening, you don't doubt them. You, you you realize that you realize that maybe Merle Haggard had a moment like that, or maybe Hank Jr. had a moment like that, or maybe Willie had a moment. I know Willie had a moment like that. 
you know, we all know Willie's story and and him wearing a suit and how he went from wearing a suit to growing his hair out and putting on tennis shoes. And you know what I mean? Like, like I think every frustrate, there's always frustration that sets in with, um, with a lot of us writers because we are half, half of us are artists. We're frustrated artists. Uh, and, and, and again, you know, we talked about me being an artist and I was one of those artists that nobody could tell me what to do. I, I just was not going to do what I didn't want to do. Um, uh, um, and you know what I mean? And when the labels get those kind of guys and they're stable, they're kind of like, oh, this guy's such a pain in the butt to deal with. You know, you know what I mean? Like, right. And I, and I didn't understand it then, but I, I totally understand it now. I understand how I was a pain in the butt to those guys because I would be like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to wear a cowboy hat because that's not what I do. I'm not going to look like Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw's already Tim McGraw. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, but what you're doing is never going to work. I'm like, well, okay, then it's not. It's going to work for me. You know, you, you have to have. There's a self awareness you have to have about yourself. I think at some point, because I think songwriters are the most. You know, we're the most insecure people in the world. So you have to find something to give you strength. You know, um, we hate criticism and we get criticized all day long. And uh, you know, I got so many songs that I got I got kicked out of the room for. You know, uh, see that that's surprising. That to number one, number ones. That that's surprising for me to hear that. I understand the insecurity part of it, but that you kind of deal with rejection on a, on a constant basis, especially a, a successful songwriter. Um, oh, yeah. Is it really just basically, okay, great, but what are you going to do next? Yeah, I mean, even even now, I mean, you, most of the stuff, you, you should get criticized all the time. And, and, and you know, because the thing never changes. You know, something new happens, and, and then it becomes the same old thing. It's like whatever's going on right now, there's, a, there's kind of some cool new music coming out right now, but there's a lot of the same old thing going on, too. And I think it's it, it happens in every decade. It happened in the 80s. I, I saw it, you know, in the 80s when everything got real pop for a while, and then, and then Randy Travis and Dwight – and Rodney Crowell, and, and uh, you remember when all those records came mm-hmm. out in the late 80s and kind of changed the mold of of the music scene, you know, back then. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I think there's always been acts that have kind of flipped everything, and it just keeps happening. So now, I think as an older guy, you know, I'm, I'm like a senior citizen now of songwriters, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I, I truly love it. I'm a different guy in the room now because, I, you know, I used to come in, and I would be what I would call the A guy, that I knew what I was, I knew what I wanted to write every day when I came in. I knew when I came in and, and wanted to write a song called brand new girlfriend. And uh, it was going to be about, it was going to be just blasting, you know, like, like, and everybody's going, Jeff, you can't write that. It's like, no, chicks are going to love this. Trust me. Chicks are going to love it. It's the more than the guys are. We're going to write it for the guys, but the girls are going to love it. I got a brand new girlfriend. We went and jumped off the and they, they couldn't wrap their head. You know, I was that guy. I was, like, telling everybody, this is how it's going to go. And then as time evolved, you know, you know, and, and other guys start coming up. And it's, you know, it's a young man's town. And, every, and, and everybody wants their own music. You know, every generation wants their own artists and their own sound. And, and I realized that. I knew that. And so I started being, being more the guy that would be, you know, come in a room and go. When, when the young kid was in there throwing his idea out, I was, I was like, no, nah, that sucks. No, that's, that's good. That's good. That's good. And then, three, you know, then I threw out a few, a few you know, I, I could pull out, I could obviously pull some rabbits out of a hat, you know. Um, I've got a long list of 
you know, lyric in me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I became more of a guy that, 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 that these younger guys love having in the room because I, I like a cleanup man. You know what I mean? I, I can, I can get that song parked in, with the valet and get it on, <laughs> get it on the record. Cause I know how to get it there. You know what I mean? But you also have this tremendous personality that just fills the room. And I'm sure that, that people <laughs> love being around that. And one of the things that I love that you said is that, uh, and, and you're kind of living it now. Cause I think this was from an interview 10, 12 years ago, where you, you talked about how much you love the agelessness of being a songwriter. Yeah, you can, uh, like, you look at a guy like Bill Anderson or a Bob DiPiro, you know, um, or Big Al Anderson, um, guys that are still, you know, pushing 70 and past that are still writing valid songs because they have great minds, you know, and and great thoughts. And, and they're teenagers. Like, Bob DiPiro is like a teenager, you know, here's a, here's a guy that's almost 70 years old. You get in the room with him, and you feel like you're in a garage band with some 15-year-old kid playing a Stratocaster. Um, I mean, that's how it was when we, when we rode Gone together. He, 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 that's the thing, too. Like, you have to find people because, like, I would, I would take ideas to people, and they would just shake their head at me. You know, they go, you can't write that. You know, but I, I would go to Bob DePiro, and he goes, let's write it. Or I'd go to Craig Wise, and he goes, let's write it. <laughs> you know? I think... Part of it was having fun in the room more than write, trying to write a hit for an artist. I've never tried to write for an artist. Um, uh, I don't think I've ever had a song cut, cut that way. Um, but I've always tried to just get what's in the room, just get what's in the room that day, you know. And and, and sure, you're going to write some wacky stuff. That's but but you write, you know it's this is the business where you write a thousand to get one, and and you know that's the gig. And once you surrender to that that formula, like okay, I'm going to write a thousand of these to get one of them that's good. If you can, if you can figure out a way to wrap your head around that and go, okay, I'm good with that. You know, I think I'd you're going to make it. You're going to you're going to do fine. You know that's what that's why I tell these kids too is like you just can't quit. You got to and you got to be you and and you got to write ten thousand songs and and uh, you and most people will only have one style of song they can write. I was fortunate. I was such a music guy. I'm still a real music guy. You know, I, I, I've had all these different styles that I like to write. So I knew I had to get really good at every one of them because they had to be, they had to be authentic. They had to be believable, you know, like when you, when you put the lyric to them, they had, and and especially a country lyric, if you were going to tweak the music and make the music more fun, you know, for lack of a better word, more fun or, or, or just a little more rocking or, you know, you, you, you had to honor that lyric and that lyric better be spot on, you know, and that was always a big thing with me too. Like if you look at a song, like way back in the day, I wrote a song called I'm, I'm trying for Trace Atkins. And, you know, it was, it was really weird at the time. Um, when we turned that one in, it had a drum loop on it, had a freaky drum loop on it and it had a bunch of minor chords in it and, uh, some really weird walk-ups in it that weren't, standard country but the lyric was spot on old school country this getting up early pulling double shifts gonna make an old man of me long before i ever get rich but i'm trying i felt like i had something nobody else had whether it was good or not i didn't know but i i knew i was on to something but you, you want you want to write something that people can relate to and that that song in particular is one that still rolls through my head on days where things are kind of tough and it just kind of in the back yeah. of my head I'm, I'm trying i'm trying and i'm doing the best i can man yeah before we wrap up i just want you to uh, to talk for a minute about the jeffrey Steele academy you referenced uh, uh, these kids that you talked to today you actually 
help young aspiring songwriters become successful songwriters uh, through this this uh, camp that you do. Yeah, we have a we have an online school um, called the Jeffrey Steele Academy, and we've been doing it for years here in Nashville. But then it, it just got a little too big for us to 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 control, you know to really put quality time into. So we said, man, we got to take this online so we can we can see everybody. We can't get this many people in a room. We got it online a few years ago and started putting content pieces up with with a lot of music professionals and 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 it's the same thing that you know we're talking about here. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of schools out there and they teach you the craft of songwriting. Um, and they teach you the ins and outs of the business and, and all you know, and all things that are important, you know, the business, all that stuff, which we do, too. But what I emphasize is, you know, people subconscious. And, and so, so I, I, everybody always could kind of looks at me and goes, huh? You know, <laughs> like, because because I'm I'm after what's in your head. Um, I don't care. I don't care if you want to be a star and you want to be famous or, or you want to be a hit songwriter. That means nothing to me because because. As you know, Tom T. Hall put it best. He said, "He said, make sure whenever you're in the room that you don't tell anybody you're a songwriter. You can tell all your friends you're a songwriter, but don't be, don't tell anybody you're a songwriter when you're in that room. Just be yourself, because that's when you're going to write the best song. And I, and I think that speaks volumes to, you know, in, in, we, we live in a world where everybody wants uh, to be famous and 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 have a thing going on, and they don't want to do the work. They want the shortcut. They want." They want the easy fix, and, and and we shortcut a lot of the music business crap that goes on. But but when it comes to writing the lyric and the and the and the melodies and the and the chord structures, um, I really try to get into people's heads and and bring out whoever they are. You know, especially if pe- people come in, they go, "Man, we we want to be just like you, Jeff." I go, "Well, you can't be like me because I'm already me. You got to be you." You know, that's the first thing I'll say to him. It's too late to be me. You got to be you. And trust me, you don't want to be me anyway. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You have to, you have to kind of have that. So on that premise, and, and we have people of all ages in there, of course. And uh, and we and we've we've had uh, you know Jennifer Aiden, who's from San Francisco area, uh, had a big Blake Shelton hit a few years ago, and she's a, a graduate of our camp and. Um, uh, Phil Barton, I don't know if you know who Phil from Australia um, was one of our um, – you can look him up. He's had quite a few hits. Um, and we, we, just, we just signed a kid out of our camp um, to a publishing deal, which was something we've never done before. But we, this one kid, he, he played us this song, Hallelujahville, and uh, it's, it's an amazing song. It ended up on uh, Tim McGraw's new record, and it might be a single coming out soon. But, but the bottom line is, like, how do you get the best lyric out of these people? And, and, and so I – it's just a fun thing that I love to do because I love to see people light up and realize that they've got something that that's them. And they, re- they realize for the first time that they're able to do something and you just go, yep, that's what it is right there. Yeah, that's would, what you got to do. I would think like like any kind of creative process, you don't – it's also for a lot of these people probably just something that they're going to do for the rest of their lives to kind of scratch yeah. that creative itch. Maybe they're never going to have a number one or a top ten single, but this is something that will satisfy them creatively for the rest of their lives. Brings a lot of peace of mind, I'll tell you what. You're kind of the Bob Ross of country music, if you think about it. <laughs> now, let's paint some pine trees over here. <laughs> Jeffrey Steele, I can talk to you for another three hours. I cannot thank you enough for... for... Well, we'll get up again sometime if you want to. Just you just track me down through Stephanie, and um, if you want to... 
part two it or whatever. I mean, there's so much to talk about all the time, and you know me, I'll go on forever. But um, uh, it's fun for me. But uh, any, anything that lights people up, I love talking about. So <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you so much, and thank you for My all honor. of the great music that you've uh, given us over the past what two plus decades. You've made a difference in our world. Oh man, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> And that will do it for this month's episode of Write You a Song. If you enjoyed it, subscribe and tell your music-loving friends about it. Next month's guest is another Nashville songwriting legend. Among his songs you might recognize... I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named join us for Tim Nichols, who's written hits not only for Tim McGraw, but everybody from Keith Whitley to Dustin Lynch. Big thanks to our digital department, headed up by Doug Williams. Write You a Song is a production of KNCI Radio Sacramento and Bonneville Communications. Again, I'm Tom Maley, and thank you for listening.